Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Well, on today's episode, episode number 67, we are going to dive into some news that was out last week that I really wanted to dive into last week. It's a passion of mine. If you've been a listener to All Things Very Long, you know that I care deeply about women and children and abortion in particular. So we are going to finally dive into what's going on in Texas with that heartbeat bill. So last week on August 30th, pro-abortion groups filed an emergency petition to the Supreme Court asking the justices to block the Texas heartbeat law that you already know about. They wanted to block it from taking effect on September 1st. This particular law bans abortion in Texas after a heartbeat is detected. And so that's usually about six weeks of pregnancy. But the ban is carried out in kind of an awkward way. And you probably already know this, but just by way of review for anybody who doesn't, in this particular law in Texas, any citizen except a state official can sue any who performs an abortion or aids and abets in an abortion. So that means that if a person believes a woman has obtained an abortion, that person, again, anyone, they can sue the doctor or the nurse or the receptionist or maybe the parent or a boyfriend who paid for the abortion. And they maybe even can pay for the person who drove the woman to get the abortion. So when the Supreme Court declined to block the law from going into effect, that meant that on September 1st, just last week, if you were a woman who was more than six weeks pregnant in Texas, you could no longer obtain an abortion. Now, the law does continue to allow for abortions when there's some kind of medical emergency when a woman has perhaps miscarried but not yet passed the baby, or when there is an ectopic pregnancy. And it's estimated that this particular uh, ban on abortions will prevent um, that about 80 to 90% of abortions in Texas will now be prevented. So quite a few. So the night before the law went into effect, Texas abortion providers scrambled. A whole woman's health facility in Fort Worth, Texas sought to abort as many babies as possible on August 31st before midnight. They reportedly completed 67 surgical abortions and about 50 follow-up appointments for drug-induced abortions before 11.56 p.m., whereas on a normal day, they would have seen closer to 15 surgical abortions and 20 medical abortions. Of course, abortion proponents are incensed. Planned Parenthood President Alexis McGill-Johnson called the new law a travesty. And Adriana Pinion with the ACLU of Texas says that minority and impoverished Texans are now going to be forced to carry pregnancies to term against their will. Well, on the other side of the equation, in crisis pregnancy centers, which provide care for free, everything from pregnancy tests to counseling, ultrasounds, prenatal care, um, prenatal vitamins, classes, support for partners, diapers, help with Medicaid, help with housing, help with job searches, and on and on. At these particular places, these pregnancy centers, care providers have also seen an influx of women in need. Center directors say that some women have come in angry, and um, they're angry about the law, they come in demanding help, but others have come in weary and uncertain about what to do. Because these centers provide free care, they've seen many women arrive very anxious, but then become relieved as they realize they're going to get the care that they need and it's going to be for free. They don't have to make a rush decision now about whether or not to abort their baby. So here we are. The heartbeat law in Texas is now in effect. 
Now, a representative from Americans United for Life says that he thinks it's only a temporary victory because, quote, I don't believe the law will be found enforceable by Texas state courts. So I think that's how many in the pro-life camp feel about it. They know this law was written in a really unique way, and that was really the point. The lawyer who crafted the law intentionally made something that the Supreme Court would not be able to make a decision on in an emergency stay situation. So the Supreme Court really needed more than just the 72 hours to properly evaluate the enforceability and the constitutionality of this law. So the Supreme Court simply said, we can't make this call this quickly. The court did not say they support the law or make any statement about the validity of the law. They simply responded to the pro-abortion petition against the law saying we can't block it with an emergency because we just can't judge it that quickly. Later this fall, however, the Supreme Court is set to review the constitutionality of Roe v. Wade, which is the 1973 decision that legalized abortion in the United States in an upcoming case about a Mississippi law that protects unborn babies after 15 weeks of gestation. So the court's going to hear that case in November, and then they're going to rule on it next June. So it really is a lengthy process, and it will be really interesting to see where that particular law in Mississippi goes. So regarding this complicated Texas law, I just want to say right off the bat that I am definitely rejoicing that abortion after a heartbeat can be detected has now been banned in Texas. This really is good news. To be sure, already hundreds of babies' lives and have been saved and hundreds of women have been spared the brutality of abortion. I'm going to talk more about that brutality later in this podcast, but lives have been saved. Suffice it to say, women, violence against women has been prevented, and this is worthy of celebrating. This really is awesome. However, and you probably knew that was coming, I do find the law to be a little bit unsettling. I don't really like the precedent of a citizen being able to sue anyone related to someone's abortion. It just feels strange to me to put that kind of power into the hands of anyone, just anyone. It seems like so much could go wrong. Like what if the allegations are wrong, for example? What if a woman didn't get an abortion, but actually miscarried, but she's accused of having an abortion. And then this whole litigation starts where they are suing someone related to it. Now, under this particular law, the mother, um, a woman who may or may not be seeking an abortion, she is protected. They cannot sue the mother. They can only sue the people surrounding the abortion. And these, this um, law doesn't really make these cases criminal. The, the, the cases are civil where one citizen sues another for helping with an abortion. So it feels just a little bit weird to me that someone random could make money off of another person's abortion. So it's kind of hard to imagine this scenario in any other setting. Like, what if I believe my neighbor is abusing his children and I sue him for that? Or I sue his wife for aiding and abetting in the abuse. And then I somehow profit from that situation that I've observed at a distance from myself. That feels strange. Um, But, you know, in the pro-life community, I do think it takes all kinds. Like we need every kind of creative effort under the sun to prevent and make abortion seem unthinkable. Um, Anything that's going to slow down the abortion industry really is good news. But I just don't know if this law really fits that um, scenario. Ending abortion is going to require so much more. What I would love to see more of is 
all of us seeking legislation and societal practices which really empower and equip marginalized mothers to carry their pregnancies to term. More on that later too. So before we get to the ways that abortion harms women and the ways that we could be working to provide holistic support to women in need, I want to touch on two things in particular, two talking points that I keep hearing that are just driving me nuts. So first of all, I keep hearing from news pundits or pro-abortion advocates, et cetera, um, people in that, in that sphere that abortion is a constitutional right, that it is quote settled law. I hear this all the time. It's a constitutional right. It is settled law, but here's what's really true. And here's what you never hear. The original Roe versus Wade decision that made abortion legal in the United States is rife with problems. Now, first of all, Roe herself is a woman named Norma McCorvey. And I go into her story in pretty good detail in my next book that's coming out next spring. So I've researched her quite a bit. I know quite a bit about her. So Norma did not set out to legalize abortion in the United States. She did want one herself, but she was not on a mission to change the laws in the United States. She was very much a pawn in the hands of the abortion activists and their lawyers. And she was very much exploited by the movement. She actually never even got an abortion. She placed her child up for adoption. But I digress. Back to the actual Roe v. Wade ruling. When the Supreme Court ruled in the Roe v. Wade case, the ruling declared that a woman has a right to obtain an abortion because of her right to privacy. Basically, the idea is that abortion should be allowed because the constitution protects someone's privacy. So a private decision to abort should be protected. That's essentially the reasoning behind the ruling. The ruling has its roots in a weird and kind of flawed ruling from the 1960s. There's this case, Griswold versus Connecticut, where which legalized the use of contraception by married couples. Now, I know that sounds crazy to us now, but back in the 1960s, the birth control pill was new. It was totally new technology, and there were new ethics to consider. So there was Griswold versus Connecticut, and it said it is legal for married couples to use contraception. So there was this atmosphere of fear that the government was going to intrude into bedrooms searching for evidence of contraceptive use. And so the Griswold court concluded there is a privacy right for couples to use contraception in the constitution. But here's what that ruling literally says. It says privacy can be found, and I'm quoting here, in the penumbras formed by emanations from various guarantees in the Bill of Rights. Penumbras formed by emanations from various guarantees in the Bill of Rights. So the reality is that privacy is not actually in the Constitution, and the Supreme Court knew that. The opinion writer had to point to penumbras and emanations. And penumbras, by the way, are like the um, rays that come from the sun or the the like cloudy thing that you see around stars. It's what's what emanates from stars. And so this opinion writer on that particular case in the 1960s knew that privacy is not actually in the Constitution, but it it emanates from penumbras in the Bill of Rights. And so the Roe v. Wade decision piggybacked on that and said, you know, abortion is protected because privacy is protected, even though privacy nor abortion are actually in the Constitution. So the reality is we do not find a right to privacy in the Constitution. There is not actually protection for abortion found in the Constitution. 
And if we're so interested, by the way, in protecting privacy, then why stop it with abortions? You know, from this particular reasoning, it would follow that a right to privacy would mean people could privately abuse their children, privately have a meth lab, privately collect child pornography. You know, any conduct that's outside of public view could then be protected by this um, idea that, that the Constitution allows for privacy. Really, it's just nonsense. So my whole point here really is the original decision for abortion was flimsy, it's sloppy, it's really unjust law. And not only that, but just because justices find protection or privileges in the Constitution doesn't make those things good or just. You know what else was once deemed constitutional? What else was deemed settled law, settled law? Slavery and women not owning property or having the right to vote. Those are things that were once, quote, found in the Constitution and, quote, settled law. So the argument that abortion is a constitutional right is really just not a strong one. Things in the past that were supposedly constitutional and supposedly settled law have been rightly overturned. So when you hear somebody say, well, it's settled, well, it's constitutional, well, the reality is both of those things are very flimsy, very sloppy, and um, at the end of the day, just unjust. Okay, secondly, I keep hearing that this law is going to be especially harmful to women who are poor and women who are minorities. Again, Adriana Pinion of the ACLU of Texas said... As a result of the Supreme Court's terrible decision, many Texans and, quote, I'm quoting her here, disproportionately people of color and people with low incomes will be forced to carry pregnancies to term against their will. This is especially horrific, given the severe maternal mortality crisis in Texas that has impacted Black women the most. So Adriana Pinion, she says she's worried about marginalized women, those of low income and those who are minorities. She says she's especially concerned about, about black women because of the real and legitimate maternal mortality crisis in Texas. And I wholeheartedly agree with her desire to protect women who are impoverished, women of color, and black women, especially when it comes to maternal health. But she thinks abortion is the best way to do that. And here's what is true about abortion. This is research that I've been conducting over the last year. Again, you'll find so much more in depth in my book that's coming out in March. But here's what's true about abortion. Um, here's what's true about women who have had an abortion. There is an 81% increase in risk of mental health conditions in these women. 34% increase in risk of anxiety. 37% increase in risk of depression, 110% increase in risk of alcohol use, and 155% increase in risk of suicide. So the truth is abortion just lacks creativity and compassion. It's a one-dimensional and short-sighted solution that actually creates more problems and harm for women. If Adriana Pinion wants to truly serve women, then she's going to need to get in the game and offer more than abortion. Fighting for abortion is honestly, in my view, lazy and it's cheap. It's a cheap way to claim that you're a champion for women and children, but no, you're not. You're exploiting them. You're abusing them. You're taking advantage of women in a very difficult situation. And rather than digging deep and offering real help, you are encouraging them to end the life of their child. Here are a few more stats about women who've had abortions. More than 90% said they weren't given enough information to make an informed choice. More than 80% said they probably would not have aborted if they had been so if they hadn't been so heavily encouraged to do so. 83% said they would have carried to term 
if they had had more support in their lives. And with regard to minorities and especially black women being vulnerable because abortion is outlawed, the truth is they will now be more protected. This Texas bill is going to protect women who are minorities and black women. According to an organization called Protecting Black Life, Planned Parenthood targets minority neighborhoods. They say 79% of Planned Parenthood's surgical abortion facilities are located within walking distance of African-American and Hispanic Latino neighborhoods. Abortion is responsible for 61% of Black American deaths. So here's my point. If Pinion is concerned about mortality in the Black community, she needs to be looking at all of the abortion clinics in Black communities, which are so brazenly exploiting Black women who are in need. Now, let me be very clear. All of us bear some responsibility here. These centers in these neighborhoods is an indictment on all on our entire society that women are marginalized and vulnerable. Women of color, black women, women in poverty are especially vulnerable. And all of us need to be digging in and seeing to the closure of abortion facilities in those neighborhoods, but then coming in and meeting those needs, wrapping around and offering holistic health in those particular communities. What I wish those centers and those communities were doing was equipping women in need so that they can survive, so they can carry their babies to term, so they can thrive as mothers. Well, guess what? With all of these abortion clinics in Texas having to limit their services, women are going to be more protected. They are going to need to be seeking help elsewhere, as we already are seeing. There are about 35 facilities that have provided abortion in Texas, so 35 prior to this ban. But there are about 203 pregnancy centers whose doors are wide open, and they are providing wraparound services for free to any woman in need. So let me just repeat that. 35 places offer abortion, but 203 provide care to women who are facing an unexpected pregnancy. So women in need are not going to suffer. They are going to have more creative, more holistic, better care, better help if they seek out care in these crisis pregnancy centers. So according to CareNet, which is an umbrella organization for thousands of pregnancy resource centers across the nation, women seek abortions for reasons usually that might be alleviated with other social services and supports. So just a couple numbers to throw at you here. Um, Women seek abortions 40% for financial reasons, 31% for reasons related to their partners, and 57% related to a recent traumatic event, such as unemployment or a breakup or falling behind on rent or a mortgage. And just in case you were wondering, only about 1% of abortion seekers are there because of rape and less than one half of 1% are there because of incest. So what this says, what this tells me is women need real help. They don't need abortion. They need help with their partners, their finances, their jobs, their housing. This is what it looks like to dig into this marginalized community. This is what it is to offer real help to vulnerable populations. This is creativity and providing help to women um, in a long-term way so that she will not have any regrets and she will not endure the trauma. She will not lose her child. Frankly, telling her to abort her baby is the easy and lazy way out. So last week I noticed there was a lot of rhetoric coming from proponents of abortion about this law. And it seemed like their arguments were sort of a gotcha. Like there were some memes, there were some things going on around Twitter, Instagram, um, where 
abortion advocates were um, sort of wanting to say gotcha to the pro-life movement. So I'm just going to go ahead and read one such quote to you because um, that will do a better job. That will do it justice. But um, I'm going to quote law professor Carlos Chapman at Washington and Lee University. This is what she said. These are her words. If a fetus is a person at six weeks pregnant, is that when child support starts? Is that also when you can't deport the mother because she's carrying a U.S. citizen? Can I insure a six-week fetus and collect if I miscarry? Just figuring, figuring if we're going there, we should go all in. And when I read that, I was like, yes, yes, and yes. I mean, I don't know much about insurance, but absolutely let the child support begin at the moment of conception if that father of that child is not going to stick around and absolutely keep the mother in the United States. If there's a heartbeat detected and she is carrying a United States citizen. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So many of us on the pro-life side are saying, this is exactly what we want to do. Yes. You finally understand. We want fetuses to be recognized as the human beings that they are. We want them to receive every level of care that a baby located outside of the womb receives. So these gotcha quotes actually really nail down our point quite well. The reality is most Americans do not enthusiastically support abortion. Um, Notre Dame did a study just last year in 2020. They conducted hundreds of in-depth interviews of demographically representative subset of Americans who were not recruited specifically to discuss abortion. So in other words, they talked to hundreds of Americans who were not recruited just to talk about abortion, but to talk about a variety of issues. And this specific study, I'll link in the show notes, as well as everything else I've said so far, um, this study is said to be the best single snapshot of what Americans actually believe about abortion. So here's a quote from the study's findings. None of the Americans we interviewed talked about abortion as a desirable good. Views range in terms of abortion's preferred availability, justification, or need, but Americans do not uphold abortion as a happy event or something they want more of. From restrictive to ambivalent to permissive, we instead heard about the desire to prevent, reduce, and eliminate potentially difficult or unexpected circumstances that predicate abortion decisions. So there you have it. Americans really want to prevent the conditions that lead to abortion. We'd rather do that. So let's do this. Okay, I'm going to close with one more thing. This is from an email that I received from a wonderful pregnancy center here in Colorado called Alternatives. And they came out with some really helpful statements following the um, this Texas bill going into effect. And this is just one little snippet from some of the statements they've made, but I really appreciate their heart here. They say, Alternatives believes in the humanity of the preborn and of the woman. We value legislation that protects both we believe the Texas Heartbeat Act needs to be accompanied by other legislation that works to provide women with the support for affordable child care, access to housing, protections for pregnant students in high school and on college campuses, and equity for pregnant women in the workplace. With legal protection and resources like these, women can make choices that are based on the amount of support they have versus being backed into terminating their pregnancy as their only option. So do you see that difference? This is what holistic help looks like. Supporting women in classrooms, at work, with childcare, with housing, with medical care, with all the support that they need so that both mother and child can move forward. And that's really what Americans want. This is what women want. 
And this is what is right. This is what is better. This is what is good and beautiful. And this is what we need to be um, fighting for and advocating for. So yes, let's celebrate any ban on abortion, any limitation or obstacle that prevents a woman from seeking an abortion. I do celebrate that. But also let's give our time, our money, our attention, our votes to um, taking just as many steps as we can in the community. Let's adopt, let's foster, let's counsel, let's care, let's provide wraparound services, let's participate in safe families. Um, Let's move towards organizations and ministries that are serving women who are marginalized so that the things that lead to abortion are eliminated. Let's work so hard as a community that abortion really becomes unnecessary that is what Americans want. And that is what we can be moving toward. So with that, friends, thank you for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.